Yes, it is time again for the Non-Believer Bible Club. It's always a new thing on the Bible Club. Case in point, last week, Moses decided to get a little musical with the Hebrews as they left Egypt and celebrated their freedom, giving thanks to God for everything he had done for them, being a pillar of fire, parting the Red Sea, things like that. But as it always is, with this work, with this culture, with this Bible club, there is always more to the story than meets the eye. This song is the oldest song mentioned in the book, and it is one of two. There are two songs in the Bible that go under the name, The Song of Moses. But how accurate is that title? And is there maybe another song directly after the first song that maybe is called that song? Maybe it's not that song? It's part of another song? Well, I'm glad you asked. Okay, here's what I know. There are two songs called The Song of Moses. The first one, in Exodus, chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, followed by a shorter version of the song, sung by Miriam, Moses' sister. More on that later. The second song of Moses is sung in Deuteronomy 32. The second song finds Moses in a far different position than he is now. Well, not that different. The people of Israel are faithless and corrupt, and they must be encouraged not to turn to the worship of the gods of the land and instead hold fast to their monotheism. The context is that this is anticipating Moses' death. Without dad around, the kids are going to misbehave. Now, these two songs have an interesting relationship. They're both seen as the two oldest fragments in the book of Exodus, in the entire book. According to the documentary hypothesis of biblical authorship, the author of the book of Deuteronomy, known as the Deuteronomist, does not refer to one specific person, but a school of writers who developed the entirety of the book of Deuteronomy. The Yahwist, or J writer, was believed to have written during the reign of King Solomon at his court. But the supplementary hypothesis, compared to the documentary hypothesis I mentioned earlier, we get in all of our hypotheses straight, good. It claims that the Yahwist could not have written any time before 500 BC, more than 500 years distanced from the court of King Solomon, towards the end of the Babylonian exile. Well, this fits pretty nicely then, with the Deuteronomist being the oldest writer, to which the J writer and priestly sources added to create the Pentateuch. But there's another rub. Modern scholars have suggested that the songs of Moses were written in a purposefully archaic style, and you wonder why biblical authorship is such a varied field. It's because of shit like this. How are you supposed to know when something was written? It's a mess. Anyway, back to the songs. I thought that this was really cool. For all rituals requiring a Torah, a Sefer Torah is used. What this is, is the Torah on a scroll, handwritten. It looks like a work of art. And in this case, it actually is Typographically speaking, in each Torah scroll, the songs, as printed, are presented in a specific way. It's arranged in three separate columns with elaborate spacings. Some of these have elongated letters so that it fills out the space in this specific way. 
It's very cool. And actually, those two songs are the only places in the Torah that is written with a different layout. Interesting. So, we know where it came from, kind of. We know what it looks like, kind of. We know who wrote it, kind of. What is it about? Now, as I said before, there are two songs of Moses, and the one which we read in our last reading of Exodus is referred to as the Song of the Sea, because God has drowned the Egyptians in the sea. He has saved and delivered the Israelites, promised them a new future. Exodus 15.11 Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchedest out to thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. So that's the idea of the song. But then towards the end, verse 20. And Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, which is like a tambourine. And all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Echoing verse 1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. So this is cool. We have first Moses' version, and then Miriam's version. Ah, but whose version is it? You guessed it. The opinions are varied. According to biblical scholars Frank Moore Cross and David Noel Freeman, quote, verse 21 is not a different or shorter or the original version of the song, but simply the title of the poem taken from a different cycle of traditions. Friedman goes on to explain that the editor of Exodus, quote, wanted it clearly understood that Moses composed and performed this dramatic song, being easier to give credit to Moses than to, quote, explain the association with Miriam being secondary. This is all very interesting. I, of course, know very little about this, but I like the idea of seeing how different ancient civilizations combined for us to get the whole that we see today. Speaking of, modern Jewish communities will chant the Song of the Sea during their weekly Torah portion or during prayer services. So, what does the Song of the Sea sound like? Here's an excerpt from an interpretation I found performed on YouTube by Rabbi Eben Leder. Moshe Tiado al Hayam Vayashov Hayam Lifnot Boker Leitano Umitzaim Nasim Likato Vayna Eir Adonai Et Mitzaim Beto Hayam Beautiful. But it needs something. Thy right hand, O Lord, is grace and power. Yeah, thy right hand, O Lord, hath death and peace is the enemy. Thy right hand, O Lord, is grace and power. Yeah, thy right hand, O Lord, hath death and peace is the enemy. Okay, okay. Let's do this. Joineth me as we continue with the adventures of Moses, trying to hold together a group of hungry refugees, all 
in the name of God. Chapter 17 And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin. Not that sin, some other sin. It's actually closer to flat in Hebrew. After their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Already we have a problem. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses, and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses, and said, Wherefore is it that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? These guys say that every time they whine about something. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. Wow. Imagine that, controlling an angry mob. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the chiding of the children of Israel. The chiding of the children, the children's chiding. And because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Yeah, these guys are exactly like children. They have no idea where dad's getting the groceries. They're just here to whine. Then came Amalek, okay, and fought with Israel and Rephidim. Damn. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. You're feeling great when you got the rod of God in your hand. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. The Bible has done it again, providing me with just an insane image if he lets down his hands, then they lose because he's holding the rod of God in his hands. But if you've ever held anything up in the air for longer than a minute, your arms are going to get tired, especially if you don't work out like me. So he needs help raising his arms. So two of his bros hold up his own arms for him so that they can win the war. 
that's just such a crazy situation. It's also like imaginative. Like ask anybody to just come up with a story on the spot. Just tell me a story, anything you can come up with. Some of these stories are just so weirdly, like strangely, specifically weird. (laughs) In other words, this is why I'm here. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Yeah. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book. Ooh, the book references itself. And rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Damn. (laughs) Will anyone remember him? I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek. Wow. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Yehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Ah, I thought that was familiar. According to the Bible, Amalek is the son of Eliphaz. Eliphaz is the son of of your favorite red-headed boy, Esau. So, Esau, being a man who has gone against the Lord in his ways, not Jacob, the chosen one, he has continued to father a line of evil that God will deal with. There's always sort of a recurring evil or antagonism between the families, we see how, well, they didn't deserve to be God's true people because you see generations further on and on and on and on, they're attacking the chosen people, right? God's not really a kill it before it grows kind of guy. Well, not nowadays anyway. Chapter 18. When Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. Sent her back? When did he do that? Oh, right, when he begins his journey. And her two sons. Oh, so she's been on the sidelines this whole time, just wondering when Moses is going to be back. And then he comes back with like 100,000 <laughs> more people. And her two sons, of which... The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been an alien in a strange land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for the God of my father said he was mine help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses in the wilderness. Ah, they met him halfway. It's probably Zipporah. She's like, they are close enough. We are going to go. He's like, all right came with his sons and his wife unto Moses in the wilderness, where he encamped at the Mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I, thy father-in-law, Jethro, am come unto thee, and thy wife, and her two sons with her. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and did obeisance, and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare, and they came into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. It's a story. And all the travail that had came upon that had come upon them by the way, and how the Lord delivered them. Page turned. 
And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hands of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came, and all the elders of Israel, to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. I thought that was interesting. It didn't mention Moses uh, kissing and embracing his wife or his kids. I guess they thought it was more important for him to hang with Jethro. Maybe for that audience, it was more important for the patriarchs to meet. And like, okay, as long as the men are cool, (laughs) because that's where the wars start. (laughs) As long as they're good, we know everything else is good. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another. And I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt shew them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them, to be rulers of thousands, and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. That's honestly a great idea. (laughs) I see the ridiculousness of this now. Moses sitting before a huge crowd of people. Jethro saying, listen, no need to micromanage. And let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be. This is government. (laughs) This is honestly government. This is great. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. He wasn't just judging. He was solving problems day in and day out. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure. And all this people shall also go to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the very, very wise voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, 
and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons, the hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. And Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. Good on you, Jethro. I like that guy. Chapter 19. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. Ah, yeah, okay, this is going to get good now. For they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. There it is, Tolkien fans, eagles' wings. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people, and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together, and said, All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up to the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man. It shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. Oh, it's one of those things that you don't understand until you do. Come not at your wives. In fact, don't do anything with your wives. You know what I mean with your wives. You wives. Nice. I like this. This is like, there's churches that aren't your grandfather's church, and then like, this is your grandfather's church. Like, I remember we had to clean ourselves completely, not have sex with our wives, dress nicely, and go to see God because he's coming. It's not like, let's go to, let's go to church. This is like the first church service ever. 
before God figures out how to talk to man in a way that's not absolutely terrifying. It's like, okay, he is coming on the third day. God will come. And if you so much as look at him wrong, you're fucking dead. Do you understand me? God is coming. And I swear, if you do something and he doesn't kill you, we will. That's some, that's some, that's some Old Testament shit right there. Here we go. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount. I just, okay, I like the idea of God as this really intense guy who doesn't know how to relate to these. So this is like his first, (laughs) this is his first like stab at trying to connect. He's like, okay, I'll come down. Thunder and lightning. Yeah, you know, that's what I do. It's just, this feels destined for disaster. Like, like a romantic comedy. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in the fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. As mentioned in the covenant with Abraham, finally were there. And the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai, on top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargedest us, chargedest us, saying, Set bounds about the mount and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. We're here. Chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and shewing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And all the people saw the thunderings, and the lightnings, and the noise of the trumpet, and the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. It is interesting that they keep saying, don't let anybody up here. Everybody is fine with standing afar off. And they said unto Moses, speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. Thick darkness? Damn, this is, this is great. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with, with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold. An altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings, and thy peace offerings, thy sheep, and thy, thine oxen. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. And if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone, for if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. I like that. I mean, it, it seems to me, because if somebody is hewing the stone, they're crafting it. And if you're crafting it, it's an idol, right? Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. Whoa. And here we end our reading for today. Really interesting last verse. Um, what I'm seeing from 
Bible commentaries online is there seems to be a consensus that, you know what? When you ascend stairs and you're wearing a skirt or a robe of some kind and you get high enough, people are going to look up your skirt. <laughs> so this is more of a modesty thing. So that your nakedness not be discovered. Still, anybody who's been listening to this podcast from the beginning know that nakedness can have certain implications. To see your father's nakedness would be to sleep with his wife, which is what Ham was said to have done to his father Noah's wife. But also his mother, it's, it's, it's messy, bad Ham. I can wrangle any kind of interpretation out of this. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar. You cannot approach the altar trying to gain knowledge. You can't cuckold me. (laughs) The nakedness will not be discovered. I'd like to study that verse a little more closely and see if I can wrangle something good out of it. The way that it seems to be telling me not to. Either way, what we've seen here is the first and most important step in forming a society. The people have been chosen, and the very next thing that we have is for them to develop governments, (laughs) to oversee each other, but most importantly, to keep God's laws. Interestingly, these laws are very different from the ones that we got in uh, the blood for blood laws in Genesis. Genesis 9, 6. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. So stoked that I got to the Ten Commandments today. This is great. So looking at this, that's Exodus 20, verse 13. So simply stated, thou shalt not kill. When you look at it, it is just one sentence, one short sentence. This is the law. This law must be followed. But still, very different from Genesis 9-6. Back in Genesis, God's mission was for man to live. And the one thing getting in the way of man living was, man, murder, killing, has to be wrong. We have to understand that before we get everything else. That's the first thing that comes in. Besides the spiritual, existential, fruit, knowledge, conundrum. I'm talking down here on earth, in the mud, from whence we came. The buck had to stop somewhere. But as society has grown, as humans have grown, as the chosen people have been selected, so they get new laws. They get the expanded edition. Now that we've all agreed not only to not kill each other, but to work together in a society, there are certain things that we have to get down. There are certain things that need to be understood before this is able to take off. And that's what the Ten Commandments are. I mean, it's really really a first constitution, if you think about it. It's more like a Bill of Rights, actually. You have freedom of the press, freedom to have guns, freedom to not have soldiers be in your home when you don't want to, when that was a problem. Um, Due process. That's a rather 
complex thing to try to explain to a bunch of people who are just killing each other. Yeah, the Bill of Rights are sort of a more complex, uh, sophisticated version of the Ten Commandments, no? Once we've agreed that a predetermined set of laws is going to dictate the way we act around each other, we can talk about more interesting things. I mean, you can see as governments have developed how these things are are really just reactions, like freedom of the press. When a government gets too big, then they can oppress your freedom to express yourself. We know that because of all the ways we've seen governments go wrong before. So in that way, I guess what I'm trying to say is I see the Ten Commandments and they're this, <laughs> they're like the progressive laws of their time. We've accepted that we're not going to kill each other, but how are we going to live with each other? I'm sure they're old and simply stated, but you get these 10 rules down. You basically have a working civilization. Good laws still hold up. <laughs> so thank you for joining me and tune in next week as we see where this is going to go next. Keep calm, my creeping things. Adios. Adios.